the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. Okay, for those of you who don't know about this show, the show is in two parts, not equal parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion, and, you know, I, I count as part of, of history baseball. And we're going to have one of the guys who accomplished an awful lot in his career, Felipe Alou, the first bona fide major league ball player from the Dominican Republic. He spent 35 years in the major leagues as a player, coach, manager. Had a truly remarkable career, and we'll be talking about Felipe Alou with him in a, in a few minutes. We also have Burgess Owens, who played for the Jets and the Oakland Raiders for about 10 years in the NFL, and he had a very good football career. But we're not going to be talking sports with Burgess Owens. We're going to be talking politics. And, of course, he's got something to say about President Trump and the kneelers for the national anthem. And you take it from perspective of Burgess Owens being an African-American football player in his comments on today's society. But in any event, we'll, we'll go into estate planning right now. And Beth, I understand you have an email question or two to read to us. I have some real good ones. This first one is from Margaret. If I were to move to Florida and become ill, would I be able to come back to New York and apply for Medicaid benefits? Also, is it possible to leave my investment portfolios to my children and grandchildren in such a way that they would not be able to liquidate the accounts during their lifetimes and only collect the income? My goal is to give my children and grandchildren a security net if they fall on hard times. Thank you, Margaret. Okay, the, the answer to the first question, can you leave New York State and then come back to New York State and apply for Medicaid? Yes. New York is very liberal on its residency requirements. Uh, you can leave the state, come back to the state, reestablish your residency, and be a New York State resident for Medicaid purposes. Now, you should have a good power of attorney if you're going to do that. So if you're not able to express your wishes, somebody, usually a family member, on your power of attorney can express those wishes for you that you want to remain in New York or move to New York or whatever the case may be. 
The second part of the question, yes, you can do that. That's what we do sometimes in a trust agreement. You know, you can put terms on the trust agreement. It's a, it's a contract, and we can do per, pretty much anything we want in, in this contract. So, yes, we could say income goes to my children for their lifetimes, and then it goes to my grandchildren when they reach the age of 25 or whatever. Uh, there, there's some technicalities we have to work about about how long the trust can go in effect. But, yes, you can have income to your kids for their lifetime, and then the trust has to terminate at some point in New York, but it can be 21 years after the last of your grandchildren have passed away, the grandchildren that are alive now, all of them, so that could be at least 100 years in the future in some cases. So yes, you can do that, but careful what you wish for, because if they can't liquidate it, can't sell it, let's say the market starts a downturn and the stockbroker wants to get rid of one of the uh, the stocks, we've got to be able to let them sell it, even if they keep the money from the sale within the trust and use the income to support the children. You have to be flexible, because it's it's hard to understand what might happen in the future. It's too hard to predict what's going to happen in the future. So you have to be flexible. That's where the trustee comes into play. Now, in your case, I don't know who the trustee is going to be, whether it's a combination of family members, whether it's a bank, and I don't like banks ordinarily being the trustees because there's a lack of flexibility. So that's going to be the hard part. Who's going to who's going to make sure that these stocks are not sold and they're kept in the uh, agreement and used eventually for the benefit of your grandchildren? And of course, if there's an emergency, can we make withdrawal from the trust agreement? Those are questions that have to be decided. And again, if you want to schedule an appointment with our office, you're more than welcome to do that. Now, each week, Kevin McCullough plays one of our questions. What's the question of the week this week, Kevin? Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week, we promise you that Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan Law Firm will answer a question questions that relates to estate care and elder law. And Mike, this week's question comes from Carmen, who writes, I heard that gifting away your assets is a good way of reducing your taxable estate. I plan on gifting away my assets so that my children will not have to pay estate tax when I pass. What do you think about gifting? Mike Connors. Ordinarily, I'm not a big fan of gifting because there's no federal estate tax now, thanks to President Trump, under $11 million per person. That's $11 million for husband, $11 million for wife. So unless you're in that $22 million plus range, you're not going to save on any federal estate tax. Now, New York State, yes, if you make some gifts, you could cut your New York State estate tax. But even so, in New York State, there's no, federal, uh, there's no New York State estate death tax under $5,250,000. $5 million for husband, $5 million for wife. So unless you're in those numbers, the, you know, the gift tax really doesn't make a lot of sense to try to avoid the estate tax if you're under $10, $11 million anyway. And here's one of the things. A lot of times people make the mistake. They give away, let's say, stocks that have appreciated in value. They give away a stock portfolio that's worth $100,000 that they paid ten for it. They give away to their kids. The kids sell the stock. They pay $30,000 in taxes that ordinarily we could get out tax-free if we didn't give them away and kept them in the estate. Okay, so that's uh, interesting. And, friends, if you've got questions about what gifting would do to your portfolio or to your children's inheritance – why don't you call Connors and Sullivan and find out for yourself? 718-238-6500 is the number, 718-238-6500. Or you can write MikeConnors at gmail.com, MikeConnors at gmail.com, or 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks again to Kevin McCullough. Remember to listen to Kevin each Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock. Now, on Wednesdays, John Katsimatidis has a show with Kevin. But each Monday through Friday, you can hear Kevin at 970 The Answer, 5 to 6 o'clock, drive time. Kevin McCullough does a great job on talking local and national news. Chris Cordani. Hello. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of this stuff I'm still not too sure of. We have a Facebook page. We, we have 
both for Ask the Lawyer and for Connors and Sullivan. We have some social media. How does somebody like us on Facebook and why? You can just go to the Facebook page, Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors, check us out, and there's a little uh, button that says like or like this page with a little thumb up. Click that and you've liked the page. This way you can follow what we're doing. You can who you can find out who's going to be coming on with us in the next few weeks. You can find out where you can listen to some of the other shows that we've had in the past and some of the classic interviews. Also, you can learn about seminars. You can learn about a lot of things that you're doing with Connors and Sullivan as well. All right, so how do they like it again? Go to the Facebook page, Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. That's important. Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. It all has to be there. Okay, you now just like th- it. <laughs> There's something about a, a, a chat page, and that I know nothing about. We just got this, Mike. The Connors and Sullivan website, www, and I'll add the W's to that, connorsandsullivan.com. That's connorsandsullivan.com. That's the uh, Connors and Sullivan website. Well, people might not want to pick up the phone quite yet. They just want to have a preliminary question or two. They want to ask something quick. We have a little chat feature on the lower right-hand corner of the website. It's always there uh, at this point. You can uh, just click on it and then ask your question. Again, if you want to check our website again, it'll tell you when our next seminars are going on. You know, the end of June, we're going to be in Manhattan and Staten Island. July, I think we're going to take a break. And then August, we'll be in Brooklyn. And September, we'll be in Queens. So look at the website and see when the seminars are being scheduled. You can even sign up live on the Connors and Sullivan website. We have a sign-up sheet under the Seminars button on the menu. Okay, now, Beth, I think you have another email question to read today. Yes, I do. And this one is from Karen. Um, what can I do as I want to sell the property I own with my sister and she is refusing to sell? Well, there is a remedy in New York State. Unfortunately, that remedy is costly and time-consuming. If you have two owners of real estate and they own the property together, either one of the owners can petition the court. It's called a partition proceeding to sell the property. And what happens then, the the property, if it goes through the court, there's no settlement, there's no buyout. It goes through the court, and in, in theory, the property gets auctioned at the courthouse steps. Now, if you're one of the owners of the property, you want to be there with a bid so you at least get a minimum offer. You want to protect yourself. So in other words, if your property's worth a million dollars, you want to be there with some guy who's going to give you a mortgage for $500,000. Remember, you own half. And that's not as hard to do as you might think, because again, if it's a million dollar property and you own half, you have $500,000 worth of equity. But it's it's like playing chicken. It's not a game you want to get into very easily. You, you want to think about it because it usually starts an all-out war, and in some cases, the people are living living in the same house. And it's a lawsuit, and it's it's almost like a divorce, a divorce on the real property. If you can work it out better, if you can't, if there's no way to work it out, you go to court, you do a partition proceeding. It's it's costly, and it's going to take time. Some in some cases, that's what you have to do because in some cases, you may have a family member living in the family home that was left by the parents, and that person is living in the home, and nobody else is getting any enjoyment out of the property, and that's not quite fair in itself. So that's what the remedy is: a partition proceeding. It's a court proceeding. It's expensive. It's costly, and it's not a happy matter. In the long run, usually it settles. Some kind of deal is made. The property sold. The people divide, you know, the assets from the the sale of the property, and if you're interested in doing that, if you have it, you can you can see one of our attorneys at our office in Brooklyn, Justin Daly, and he's our guy who's in charge of the partition actions in our office. And you can give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Now, we're going to take a short break, then we're going to be talking to baseball great Felipe Alou. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills and estate planning, and more. 
Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on Monday, June 25th at the Three West Club, 3 West 51st Street in Midtown Manhattan at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. And on Tuesday, June 26th at Pocelli's Ristorante, 1250 Highland Boulevard in Grasmere, Staten Island at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors and Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan. 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. That's connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me, our next guest. When I was a little boy in 1962, I was watching the World Series, and Willie Mays was the center fielder for the Giants, but in right field was our next guest, Felipe Alou. And, of course, a few years later, I was at a playoff game at Shea Stadium, and Hank Aaron's the right fielder, and Felipe Alou's the center fielder. And that's our next guest. How are you doing today, sir? Well, I'm doing good. I'm, I want to thank you guys for, uh, guys for this opportunity. I'm kind of old now with a bad bad wheel, bad right leg. They're going to replace my right knee uh, next month, so, but thanks a lot. Now, you were one of the first players from the Dominican Republic. What was that? What was it like being one of a pioneer, so to speak? Well, I was the uh, uh, second player out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, Ozzy Virgil was the first player. Uh, it was, it was kind of tough. Uh, you know, I, 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 I play in the South. My first two team, uh, my first team was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and uh, I got two, uh, nine at bats in uh, six weeks, <laughs> and they finally voted me out, and they sent me to Florida, where I live now, and I had to get used to segregation. But, but you know what? I still live in Florida. What a beautiful state, <laughs> and what a beautiful people. Now changes had taken place, you know. It's not uh, segregation. It's beautiful Florida now. I think that's worth it for some of the younger listeners. So when you first were playing professional baseball, you had to stay in segregated hotels in Florida? Yes. There were, yeah, well, we didn't stay much in hotels. You know, Florida, I played in the Florida State League. I also managed in the Florida State League. To me, Florida State League is the major league or the minor league with good weather. Beautiful ballparks, a lot of water, a lot of fishing. Uh, during my time as a player in 1956, uh, you used to commute uh, the majority of the trips 
a couple of places we had to stay, Tampa, Gainesville, places like that. And uh, usually there really was no hotel. There were some homes. There were some, like, guest house in the black section that would keep the players from the visiting team. So uh, I had uh, some great experiences with that. So uh, the white player used to go to a hotel, and the black and black Latino used to go to some home in the uh, uh, on the other side of the railroad track. But but it, it was kind of normal during those days. Do you know what year that changed? The year that it, that, that was changed? Yes. I, I really don't have a very good, because I, I, I let that league hit in 380, and I found myself playing in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, where I could stay anywhere. <laughs> I didn't do very well in Minneapolis the first year, and they sent me to Springfield, Massachusetts, where I could go anywhere. Go to a restaurant with the, with the white kids, uh, stay in the same hotel with them. I mean, it, it was a complete uh, uh, different situation there. Well, I came back to Florida when I was a, a older player with the with Braves, with the Milwaukee Braves. I was traded from the Giants to, to the Milwaukee Braves, and uh, to my surprise, the Milwaukee Braves were having the spring training in West Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, the West Palm Beach at the time was the toughest player, uh, places for black players to find a place to eat at their ball game. But by the time I came back in 1964, uh, there was no trace of any of that. But I cannot tell you right now it happened in 1964. It must have happened a long time before that. We're talking about eight years. Well, let's get back. You, eventually, obviously, you're, you're playing in the minor leagues and you get your shot with the Giants. How did that occur? Well, I... Uh, I was fortunate. I, I, I had talent. You know, I gotta, I'm not bragging here. I, I was a javelin thrower in high school in the Dominican, and I could play a little bit of baseball. And uh, I wound up in the Pan American Games in 1955 in Mexico City with a baseball team by accident. I was supposed to compete in uh, track and field, and then one of the baseball players was, was sent back home because of uh, discipline. And they got me off the... Uh, track and field team, and they put me to play left field, and we wound up winning the gold medal in the 1955 uh, Pan Am game. We, we beat the U.S. team for the gold. And that's how I wound up being signed, not drafted. It was no draft then. I, I was signed out of the University of Santo Domingo by the Giants, and it only took me two years and two months to make it to the big leagues. It was a quick trip, and it was a surprise to me when they called me up from AAA Phoenix in the, in the Pacific Coast League. I, I didn't think I, I was ready for the big league, and in fact, I was not ready. It took me like three years to really become a, a solid major league, but, but, I, but I made it quick, thank God. 1962, you guys have a very interesting and a great season. Can you tell the audience about it? Well, we have maybe one of the greatest teams that I've ever been associated with. The Willies, uh, well, you know, Tuli Kobe, Willie May, the Cepeda, uh, Mary Charles, some of that, Lou. And um, we were threatening before that, but uh, with Alvin Dark as our leader, our manager in 1962, we beat the Dodgers in the, uh, in the best of three playoff. We finished out the 1962 season tied with the Dodgers, and it was not a one game to decide the championship. And we played three games, all three games, that we, we beat the Dodgers in, in Los Angeles for the championship. And on we went to play the World Series against the, the mighty New, New York Yankees. 
they married, they mantled all of those days, they forged all, all of those great players they had. And um, Richards, was, well, all, all of those great players. And it took seven games for them to beat us from one to zero. Wow, the greatest experience of my, my life to, to play in the World Series against a tremendous ball club and against a tremendous a group of nice people, including the manager, Ralph Howe. What a great person, a great manager. He was, I had the fortune to play for him three years, you know, in New York when I was a, an old player. What a gentleman he was, and great manager he was. Now, you mentioned the manager of the Giants, and there was a little bit of a controversy concerning Al Dark. You, do you want to go into that at all? What was it like to play for Al Dark? Well, he was, you know, that was a very good manager. Uh, he played me regularly. He, he was a young manager, uh, we traded our shortstop, the Giants traded our shortstop, Andrea Rogers, to the Braves for Alvin Dark, who was the shortstop with the Braves. So Alvin Dark came to the Giants to manage the Giants from being straight from not managing the minor leagues or anything, for just or coaching, just to manage the Giants. And there were many things. He knew the game great, but I believe he had his trouble managing a team that had a bunch of Latinos a bunch of blacks, and obviously the American players. It was a, a, a group. I don't believe Alvin understood what he was getting on, and at the beginning there were, there were, there were problems with him. Uh, he didn't want for us to talk Spanish. He didn't want for us to talk Spanish in spring training while we were in uniform. And uh, he was talking to the like of Orlando Cepeda, Hall of Famer. Later on, Juan Mary Shallow, another Hall of Famer, they are Lou Brothers. Manny Morris. I mean, that that kind of uh, man, you know, say, hey, don't talk, especially me. And this was in spring training, you know. We had 11 players in spring training that spoke Spanish. So we resisted that. That was the first hurdle there. And that created some situations. And, you know, that uh, he didn't believe that the black were hustling all the way or the Spanish were hustling all the way. But I got to say, you know, he changed. He was a great manager, a good strategist. Uh, I was surprised that the guy who never managed was such a good strategist. He was a real, real good leader. But he has his problem with minority. But later on, down the, you know, when he got older, he, he really he apologized to every one of us that he ran into it about his behavior. And it was beautiful. Oh, very good. To see somebody repent from, from the mistake he made with us. It was really beautiful. That's that's very good to hear. Now the Giants, I don't know how many guys, how many outfielders you guys developed in the late fifties going into the sixties, all the talent that came through there. And of course a lot of a lot of them were traded away, like your brother Matty, who really became a star in uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, well I, I wish we had a problem. I'm saying that's say off because I, I'm still <laughs> I'm still with the Giants. Uh, we we're looking for our field for the last ten years now. Yes. <laughs> we, we we I don't know. It was just one of those cycles where our field came from everywhere, from Jose Cardenal to the to Arubler, to Willie May, Willie Kirkland, Jackie Brand, uh, you name it. You know, we we gave away a bunch of guys. Mario Lou was a guy that some of us who knew who Mario Lou could could do. If he played, because we, we were teammates in winter ball, uh, between Mario Lou and Manuel Mota, Manny Mota, the famous pinch hitter, they used to win every year 
the batting championship in winter ball, playing every day. It was either Mario Lou or Manny Moore. So when Mario Lou was traded to the Pirates, some of us said, you know, we traded a, a potential batting champion. And right away, he, he won the, the batting championship uh, with the help of a coach, uh, Harry Walker, and obviously the manager who played him every day. But the Giants were blessed uh, with, with our field during those, those 10 years, you know, the late 50s and, uh, and, and the 60s. But we, we really, the Giants really didn't get the return for those good outfielders that they traded. Which, again, you guys made the World Series in 62, but it didn't happen again. Well, it took forever. Uh, I'm sitting here, and I had three World Series rings. <laughs> All of this was 2010, 2012, and 2014. And it is really great to, to have it. But sometimes you wish that, that you had one where you were a player, you know. Or in my case, maybe even a manager. But but I'm very proud, you know, and I really appreciate the fact that the Giants brought me back to manage them, had the privilege of managing Barry Bond and some other great players. I finished finished up my career with the Giants. Uh, but I don't know. We, we never won a World Series when I was a player. We had some real good ball club, but we never did win it. We need to take a short break. We're talking to Felipe Alou, baseball great, on Connor's Corner. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia once again call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement frank melia nmls number 62591 all loans provided by quantic bank nmls number 403503 we all know someone who's been touched by cancer it's the second leading cause of death and it took the life of my father john wayne But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're talking to baseball great Felipe Alou, who has a book out about his career. How did you get your first managing job? How did that develop? Oh, my first managing job, I almost got it <laughs> with the Giants. But that Ralph Hauk that I just mentioned, you know, Ralph Hauk, told me, Felipe, you know the game, you know, when I, I was a, a bench player my last year with the, with the Yankees. Say you're going to manage one day, but never take a one-year contract to manage. Don't, might as well don't ever manage. If you take a one-year contract, you're going to get fired. So the Giants offered me a one-year contract. 1985, I didn't take. Then I became the bench coach of the Montreal Expos. And um, I was in the minor leagues right here in Florida for uh, six, seven years. And one day, Dan Duquette, you know, Dan Duquette yes, is yes. the GM of the Orioles now. I, I owe it to him, you know. He, he really made me a manager in, in 1992. I didn't, didn't want to be the bench coach. I was tired of being a coach in the big league. Third base coach, first base coach, go back to AAA, go to A ball, go back. So I refused to take the job, but uh, Duquette's a nice, nice young guy. And finally, he convinced me to go to be the bench coach for Tom, Tom Ronald. And uh, in May, I wound up being the manager. The club was back in last place. Things weren't happening. Uh, a lot of promising young players that weren't, weren't developing. So I got the job. You know, it was an interim type of offer, and I took it. I was 56 years old, so I took it. And it turned out to be a blessing, you know, and I managed for uh, 15 years in the big leagues. Now, one of the things you had, what I think very few big league managers ever get the opportunity to do, you managed your own son. Yeah, that was great. Uh, with pressure, it was pressure on me and pressure on him. You see, when the three brothers played in that, in that famous game, 1963, there was a little pressure, especially on me, because I, being the oldest, the oldest one of the three, uh, I felt like it was like I was their dad. <laughs> well, thank God we all three wanted to have a good career. We played 49 years of baseball, the three Alubros. And then my son Moses uh, was uh, drafted by the Pirates. He was okay. And then there was a trade made with the Pirates while I was the bench coach in Montreal, and Moses came. To the expo, but I was not managing him. It was Tom Ronald who was the manager. <clears throat> but then when Tom Ronald was let go, they want, I wound up being the manager of my son. That, that is really pressure. Uh, Moise was, he had a shoulder injury, and he wanted to play through the injuries, and he came to my office a few times demanding for me to play him, to put more pressure on me. But anyway, we, we solved it. Gene uh, Leland told me, when that trade was made, he said, Felipe, your son is going to be a good player. So coming out of the mouth of Gene Leland, I, I believe he was going to be a good player. But but I didn't know my son Moises as a baseball player because he was with the Pirates organization. I, I did not see him play much. But Jimmy Leland was right. You know, Moises became the best of the Alou players. <laughs> That's a pretty good group, though. So. <laughs> yeah, well, we, uh, we have one thing in common, and I said it in my book. All four I look could hit a fastball. <laughs> but I believe, you see, one guy, Mary Alou was 5'9", five 5'10". Five Jay Alou, 6'3", Moises Alou, 6'3", and I'm kind of in between there. Mary Alou, left-handed guy, 
but all four of us could hit a fastball. So I, I believe if you are going to play and if you are going to make money today, because we, we could hit fastballs, <laughs> three brothers, but we didn't make money because at that time there was no money for the play. But, but if anybody is going to make money, you better start hitting fastballs. Did you hit enough fastballs? Not all of them, but enough fastballs to make you money. So all four of us were born to hit fastballs. In retrospect, now, how many years did you spend in the major leagues? Player, coach, manager? Well, 17 and 15 is 32, and as a coach for uh, 36 years in the big leagues. 36 years in the big leagues. That's quite an accomplishment. I mean, that is such a great accomplishment. You know, it it really, there's no word to describe that. I mean, how many people spent 36 years in the big leagues? Well, I'm coming for it. We we came from a family that... There was a little town next to the, to the city of Santo Domingo that, that we were born there. And now it's part of the greater greater Santo Domingo. There was no baseball park, no baseball field there. My dad never had a baseball uniform on him. My mom was a daughter of a, a man from Spain. There was no baseball tradition whatsoever. But we be, we believe it was a divine, it was a God-given blessing of talent that brought us out, not one, but four, including Moises. And then it came Mel Rojas, my nephew. So really, you know, it is incredible that, that an, from an environment like that with no baseball park, uh, all of these players came out. I mean, it, it is it is hard to believe, but, but it, it did happen. Well, obviously we believe it. What do you want the reader to take out of your book? What You know, they read your book. What do you want them to understand, to learn? Well, first, uh, quickly now, you know, this is a book that I didn't want to write uh, because there are so many things that a man, a player, or whatever, a writer or a journalist like you guys, uh, we we want to keep a bunch of stuff. and We always do take a bunch of things to the, to the grave. And I used to say, if I, because I did write a book when I was a player with the Braves, but a lot of water went on under the bridge out there, that divorces, releases, injuries, revolution in my country, segregation, things like that. But uh, my friend Bruce Bochy, who was a manager with the Giants, he influential on that. Uh, he told me, Felipe, you have a story to tell. And it, it really, what, what, I, what I do here, because I... I he got me with a great writer, Peter Karasortis. He wrote beautifully. I want people to know a little, a little bit more about the Alou brothers and about this family that I'm just talking about and about our country and about who I really am. I mean, this, is a, this book is, is it's not another baseball book. Oh, there's a lot of baseball in that book, but there are some other stuff that I believe, I know there might be a few people who don't like some of the stuff I said about my country was occupied by, by, the, by, the, uh, by the U.S. Well, I was playing ball in, uh, in Milwaukee, things like that, you know. And uh, does that have anything to do with baseball? Yes, because then when that happened, we didn't play baseball in my country for two years. Uh, stuff like that, it is connected with baseball, but it's not all baseball. I said to myself, you know, there's that baseball book from great players. Uh, my book is, is not a 100% baseball book. Uh, we were rejected. Uh, there was a, a publisher that rejected me and my writer. They said, well, Felipe now is relegated to be a special uh, assignment guy uh, uh, with a general manager. I mean, that, that, I, I know that's what I am. Now you understand, right? But but uh, but I, I hope 
I got to say this, is so if one person, just one, will change their life to be a better person because he read my book, that's what I want. It only takes one person to, to change many people, many people. That, that's the purpose of this book. Maybe change one person for their, bad, for their better. Well, if you do that, that's one more accomplishment added to all the accomplishments you've already achieved. Thank you very much for sharing your time. We wish you the best. Hope you're feeling better soon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. I'm going to have knee replacement on the 2nd of July. Pray for me. We will pray for you. Thank you. Good luck, Felipe. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors & Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, we have former NFL star Burgess Owen, Super Bowl champion winner. He's been on the show a few times, and we've been talking about history when he's been on because he's one of those guys who did something with his life after the NFL. How you doing today, Burgess? Mike, I'm doing great. and look forward to chatting with you, my friend, for sure. Okay, now we talked last year, I think we talked about Colin Kaepernick and so forth. And, of course, that's become more of a controversy now than it was back then. What, what's your feeling? Well, uh, first of all, this should have ended uh, three years ago um, when the NFL uh, could have just put, put rules in place that would have not only uh, protected their brand, but I, I think there's another, there's another facet of this, Mike, that we need to keep in mind. Uh, they should have put it in place to protect these guys' career. Uh, you know, what, what's happening with the left, and this is consistent no matter which, uh, where, they, where we find them, they use, abuse, and discard. <laughs> These young men, Colin Kaepernick and Reed and any of these other guys who, who really believe what they're doing, they, they've been trained to think anti-American, anti-white, uh, uh, anti-capitalism. That's what they've been raised in these communities. So they get out and they act up, but they have no, no, no parameters, no rules of, uh, of engagement, quote, 
and, and therefore they do whatever they feel is necessary to, to bring the message out, but that they're hurting their personal brand. So when they leave the game, first of all, they leave early, they lose their career because people don't like them anymore, and then they leave, they leave the game and there's no more income coming in. There's no more opportunities because they've cut off that process. So it, it is something the NFL has done, not only to their brand, but to these young people. I think it's tragic. I think we need to hold these, uh, these people accountable, these leftists at the very top, the, uh, uh, the lorries from Philadelphia, the Yorks from uh, 49ers, uh, the, the commissioner, all these guys who have taken this great institution that you and I, we all remember growing up with, and taking it to where now they're using and demeaning the, the brand so they can expand their global reach outside this country. And so it's, it's, uh, it's sad to see that. And, and I, I think by us doing we did this last year, the last couple of years, uh, stop supporting them is the only way we're going to stop them from, uh, uh, from this process they're going through. Do you have any comment on Trump and the Eagles and so forth? I do. <laughs> First of all, I, I am so thankful uh, for two things. Number one, that we have a, a president that American people woke up and elected a president who loves our country. Uh, we, we, we need to have someone that's leading our country that said we, we believe in our, in our flag, we believe in our country, we believe in our culture, in our American way, and are willing to stand up against the left. We have been drifting so far for so long and it left its way that PC was becoming acceptable. What we're now finally saying is not acceptable anymore. We're going to stand for our flag in, in our country. So with the Eagles, very simply, again, keep in mind who's, who's heading up the Eagles. It's the Jeffrey Lurie. He's a leftist, uh, just like, just like uh, 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 the commissioner. If, if, if in case they wanted to make sure that these guys had the experience that Lurie sees himself having in the future of going to the White House, and experiencing this and being able to take this and allow their, their careers to be enhanced, he could have done it. But instead, only one player was going to go. It was an insult to the, player, for the president. And the president did the right thing. He's not going to be disrespected. He's not going to be insulted. Uh, and, and I'm glad to see he told those guys to stay home. And he'll, uh, he'll, 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 he'll do something else on that particular day, which they end up doing. Okay, now you have a book that's out on Amazon right now, Why I Stand, From Freedom to the Killing Fields of Socialism. What does that mean? Uh, you know, and this, we've kind of had this, this conversation somewhat uh, in the past. We are truly, uh, Mike, we're fighting for the heart and soul of our country at this point, never, like never before. Uh, there's a reason why you and I are talking the way we are, the reason why we have so much success across this country from every single background, race, color, creed, and religion, because this country has been based on Judeo-Christian values that allows us over time to see each other from inside out, not outside in. We're fighting against atheists, socialists, and Marxists. Those are the people that are taking every institution you can think of, FBI, the Boy Scouts, even the uh, 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 well, now the NFL. Every institution you see them leading them, they will take it down the drain. So it's a story about our country. Uh, it's a story also pointing out that we have an enemy. It's not each other. It's not the black. It's not because of black and white. It's because of ideology. I point out people within the black community, uh, the, the black socialists and elitists, that have really done damage to our race, and it's been a remarkable thing. Let me, let me just, let me just, for instance, this is one thing to you that a lot of people might not, not, might not know. Let me see if I can read it. Okay. Uh, for those who remember Tuskegee University, uh, started by Booker Washington, here's something you might not know. Back in 1906, Harvard's president, Charles Elliott, said this. By 1905, Tuskegee, the black college in Alabama, 
run by Booker Washington, produced more self-made millionaires than Harvard, Yale, and Princeton combined. Now, why do I tell you that? Because people have been trained to think that we went from slavery to oppression to finally, in 1965, this is freedom. No, my race has been like every other race, every other culture in the country, we're given freedom, opportunity, and hope. We kick butt. And that's, what, that's the history of not being told and talked about and, and taught. And that's why as we have these conversations, we need to understand we are against an ideology. And that one is, is, is to put our country down and to help people and to divide us, not to bring us together. So it's important that we have leaders like President Trump that will stand and, uh, and, and those of us, again, who love our country to, to be bold about who we are and, and not apologize who we are. I've got a question to ask, you know, because I I thought about this a little bit, that there was a double standard between Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick. Tim Tebow is probably the only quarterback that I know of in in the NFL who had a winning record as a starter and couldn't get a job. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Isn't that, you know, you think about it, and what was his his crime, quote, by the left? He kneeled, but he kneeled in in thanking his God, not doing the Patriot, not doing the National Anthem, but after he did anything that was successful, he wanted to make sure everybody knew where his strength and where his focus was and his thankfulness was. And meanwhile, we have Colin Kaepernick, who's a Marxist, who's running around suing and protesting to get a job because he doesn't understand. He was never taught the free market. And this is so sad. We're in a country that's been built on free enterprise, on capitalism, on getting out and doing your thing, taking risks, like all of us have. Anybody who's listening to my talk now who's actually made it out in our country has taken risks, has failed, and gotten back up again. Kaepernick believes that because he is who he is, he deserves to, to have a chance to have a job. And that's not the way it works. And, uh, and unfortunately, you see a guy like Tim Tebow who took it. He's, he, he, he held tight to his, his beliefs. Uh, he's going to be okay in life he, because people respect him. People, he still has value in this country. And no matter whether now or 10, 15, 20 years from now, Tim Tebow will have value. Carver Kaepernick will be broke. Keep that in mind. The next 10 to 15 years, you're going to see the difference in those who love our country, love our American way, and respect it, and those who have been trained not to. You're going to see those two, those two young men in the position they play. Before, you've mentioned that the NAACP was founded by white Marxist socialists. Can you explain that, how that came about? Yes, and that, and that was actually talked about in depth, actually in both of our books. The first book was... Uh, uh, Liberalism, how to turn good men into whiners, wings, and wimps. And I took that same chapter on NAACP and put it in my latest book, Where I Stand, because it's such an important factor. You know, people think of NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. They think it was started by colored people. It wasn't. This is what leftists do. We have white socialists that always start up and they hide behind the curtain. In this case, NAACP in 1910 was started by 21 white socialist Marxist, atheist, race control, eugenic, Democrats. And I, I list them, you see a picture of them, you see who they are. And what's interesting, <laughs> what's interesting, they always hide behind the curtains. It's the same thing with black entertainment television today. If you ever take a chance, and I hope you don't look at it very much, nothing but a demeaning, uh, disparaging view of the black race. An intelligent, inarticulate, um, uh, crazed with, with, with sex, can't control themselves. That's the message that's coming through from BET, black entertainment television, owned by white Socialist. It's owned by the, the, the founder of uh, Viacom. So you see, what, what, what the message is, is you, can, you can learn so much from what happened to the black community. And that's why the success is important to recognize what was happening in 19, early 1900s. 
because the black community was, was on a trajectory of being very, very successful, one of the most competitive races in our country. But we got sidetracked because leftists came in from behind the curtains, and they're now doing their thing. The leftists are still behind the curtains in the NFL. All right, I'm going to transition to the day. You have these guys, the Lorries, you have the Yorks, you have the commissioner that care more about profitability in their global reach. They're, they're, they're new brand in, into China and France and Germany, and they, they, don't mind, uh, they don't mind demeaning their American flag, uh, uh, brand because it's more value to them as elsewhere. So just know that behind the curtains we're fighting an enemy that has nothing to do with color. We have black and white folks that do not love our country. I call them socialists, Marxists, and, and, and atheists. And if you see who they are, even though they're smiling, they're smiling in your faces, uh, they're backstabbers. All right, and we have to understand who they are and, and, and recognize and know that's 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 what that's where our real fight is. What can us in the audience? What can they do to help help the cause, so to speak? Very good question. Uh, that, that's good phrase, Mike. <laughs> First thing, two two things: for white Americans, learning history and stop apologizing. We have too much that we've done together as a as a country. We've become Americans together, and all across our history, you see how we help each other move forward. I won't have time to go over that right now. Learning history. For black Americans, learn your history and stop expecting apology. We are in the greatest country in the history of mankind. Thank goodness for a very strong ancestry who made it through the rough times. And not only did they make it through, but they succeeded. Like my dad, my granddad, my great-great-granddad. I go through the whole history of those who took the American dream and made them through with it. The other thing is realize we're up against an ideology. Stop voting for these Democrats. I don't care how nice they sound, guys. They have done such tremendous damage to the black race. They've destroyed the black family, destroyed black manhood. They're killing 1,800 black babies every single day. They're now flooding the market with illegals, which, which pushes down those who at the very bottom of the run trying to do employment. They push their opportunities down in a big way. Just do this. I, I would suggest if we, if, if we if you're not talking about Republicans or Democrats, let's become independent in the way we think. Look for our values, both our values and principles first. Whoever stands for the values that you stand for, particularly if you're pro-American, vote that way. If they stand for values and principles that are against our American way, I don't care how popular they are, how much they smile and, and look at us and tell us all the things they give us, if they're against the American way, vote against them. It's time for us to move forward, guys, and get our country back. And once we wake up, which I think we did on November 8, uh, 2016, uh, there's nothing but winning for American way. That's, that's what we do best when we know we're in a fight. Well said, Burgess Owens. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Mike, thank you again for the opportunity, buddy. Look forward to doing okay. it again, all right? Okay, very good. All the best. Thank you. Thanks again to Burgess Owens for coming on our show. I really appreciate his insights because he has a little bit different insight coming from pro football NFL player for, for 10 years. I admire his courage on some of these things because I'm sure he's getting some flack from some people for the stands he's taken. And I hope he gets to New York sometime soon. We get a chance to talk to him in in person. Oh, that'd be great. Okay. And Felipe Alou, you know, remarkable career. He reminds me of Roger Craig. Roger Craig was in the major leagues too for about 35 years. Again, as a pitcher for the Dodgers, Mets, Cardinals, pitching coach for the number of different teams, manager of the Padres and the Giants, and he spent about 35 years in, in baseball. Maybe not a great pitcher, a good pitcher, but a guy who was able to be one of the great pitching coaches of all time and a pretty good manager. There are not that man- many managers who are able to manage a team into the World Series. And by the way, for those baseball fans in the future, in a couple of weeks we're going to have on Ron Swoboda, you know, I guess a, a living legend 
<laughs> um, and, and we're going to talk about the 69 season, his career in general. And he was one of the last players to be managed by Casey Stengel because he came up when he was about 19 years old and Casey Stengel was a manager of the Mets by the end of his rookie season. He broke his hip. And that led to his retirement, which Ron Hunt said was a bad day for the organization. But Ron Soboda was managed by by Casey Stengel, one of the last players to be managed by Casey Stengel. And, of course, one of the first players on the Mets managed by Gil Hodges. So he's got some observations based on that. And, of course, we're going to be talking about the catch. If you want to learn more about estate planning, you know what you can do? You can pick up the phone and give us a call at Connors and Sullivan. And we'll talk. There's no one right answer for everybody, but the right answer is to do something. The wrong answer is to do nothing at all. And there's no one glove that fits every size. Some people have children they can trust. Some people don't have children. Some people have millions of dollars in assets in different states, and we need to avoid probate in different states and to do some tax planning. Some people need to save $50,000 from a nursing home. In whichever case you're in, Please feel free to give us a call, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Every once in a while when I meet a client, they say, well, I never thought I'd meet you. I thought you'd be too busy to meet us. Well, I am busy, but I do see 40, 50 new clients a week. So if you want to come in and schedule an appointment in either Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, or Staten Island, give us a call at 718-238-6500. Beth, I think I hear David Kincaid. It's time to go home. Oh, bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.